0: Welcome to Hunting History, the podcast that reaches back into the past for the events that shocked everyone. Tales of true crime, mystery, and the macabre. And when we're lucky, the stories were history and the people who lived it and the paranormal meet. Now who doesn't live a good ghost story, right? Welcome back to Hunting History Podcast. I'm Kat and I am here this week again with Tress and Haley. How many weeks is that now? Three. Four. Five. Five.
1: Five. This is five. It is. We're five episodes. I we'll don't know how to count because I've
0: been drinking. Five. We're saying
1: five. I don't know how to flip. count when you're not drinking. I know. <laughs> so I took my calculator out. Yeah. I don't
0: know. Um, We're saying five episodes, but we're not necessarily going in order, but we're trying to record in advance because... Once we get behind it, it gets a little difficult to get caught up again. I wanted to say how lucky we are to have the listeners that we do. I can't honestly thank you enough for your time. I know that there's a gazillion podcasts out there for it to choose from. So to those of you who choose to listen to us for 40 minutes a week, we're humbled and honored that you do, and which leads us to our first shout out we need to do for Anna Cannon, who is our first Patreon. Ooh,
1: ooh. Yay. And our quickest liker on instagram she is she really does
0: like everything on instagram thank you anna so much you're such a rock star is she part of our facebook group and anna you need to um join it's it i haven't figured out how to invite people yet so um require look does she have to search for it how does she yeah you
2: search the haunting um history or not yeah haunting history podcast group
0: it's the group not on facebook And and join
2: and i will accept you
0: because we're doing a private group for, um, on Facebook. So if you want to join, and that really is to any, that's to all of you, anyone who's listening. Yeah. Private, not, not just Anna. Don't um, have
2: to know what you're commenting.
0: But yeah, that way that you can, you can give us ideas. No one else knows what you're saying. We kept it private. So no one in your feed knows who, what you're commenting or what you're talking about. So feel free to post and tell us what you want to hear. And again, Anna, thank you so much. Uh, a lot of people have asked me what Patreon is. Did you know what Patreon is before we started doing it?
2: I did because I've been a podcast listener for many for years. For a long time. Yeah.
0: Um, and, and I'm going to give you just a sh- long and short of it is where podcasters can give extra content to members and listeners can support their favorite podcasters. Doing a podcast is such a labor of love. It's so much work and it takes so much time and time and time. I mean, endless time and money. And we we do it partially because we love it. Obviously, we love what we're doing. For me, I love a good story, and if I can tell you a story that will either entertain you or enlighten you or interest you, it makes me unbelievably happy, so I love that I have a platform to do this.
1: I only do it because I love you, Kat.
0: Oh, thanks. What do you do, Haley?
1: Because I like the stories. I like what we're talking about. If it was not crime, though, you wouldn't be into it. You wouldn't be. If no, it, I, I really only do it because I love you.
0: So I'm starting my other podcast. You guys aren't going to be a part no. of that. No, no,
2: no, 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 hard. No, you already got enough.
0: I mean, do get all your time. It's I just I have to say that it's such an honor for anyone for for anyone to think that our show is worth your time. I know that time is such a rare thing to have. So I guess I I guess my point is, is I just really want to thank you. I know that there's so many other choices out there. And the fact that you're listening to us makes me humbled. And I don't know any other word for that. I also wanted to ask you to stay tuned after the music because we have a couple of trailers for other podcasts. And um, we tried to originally play them at the beginning of our show and it got really difficult in the editing portion for Haley. So we are going to play them at the end. And as a podcaster, clearly we love podcasts. Uh, Tress and I go back and forth all day about podcasts that we're listening to and what we should, did you hear this? Do you hear that? So clearly we love podcasts too. Listen and to this creepy sound. Ass yeah. sound. Yeah. <laughs> um, and sometimes we find some that we love and we want to share with you. So stay tuned again after you hear the music at the end of the show to hear a couple of the ones that we've just recently found. One is my podcast best friend Michael. He does a podcast called Monsters and Friends. His voice is amazing so he could pretty much read me the phone book and he, he doesn't phone it in. He actually tells really good stories of cryptoids that I've never heard before. Another one that I found this week is called Yikes Murder and Stuff. It's the same vein or genre that we do but they tell their stories differently and I really enjoyed listening to it. So Again, stay at the end. You'll can hear both of those trailers. We get requests sometimes for stories, and we will have some of those coming up. One of them, the Bell Witch Cave. You guys know the Bell Witch Cave? Sorry. I do not. Maybe no, I I don't. It's outside of it's in Tennessee. My my soon to be home. Yeah, right. And that was that was recommended. <laughs> Haley's
1: eyes just rolled so hard. Do you know hard. how long they've been talking about moving out of California? Mm-hmm. Oh, I know. I can't even tell you how many. You can't years. move out of California and then ever come back. It's no, I can not come back
2: all no, I you want. Can't. Yeah, I you can't. You will never be able to afford to I come will, back. I t- Yes, I will. You're here, you're
0: Anytime I live, living in another state, you're like a millionaire compared to living in California. Anyways, the Bell Witch Cave Lies. is one of the ones that was, we live, y'all, we live in a really expensive y'all. state. I know. Y'all. I just picked up my whole Tennessee thing. See, I belong there.
2: <laughs> I don't think Tennessee says y'all. Sure, they do. Yes, I do. They do?
0: Yeah. Um, one of the, one of, like I said, it was a Bell Witch Cave, which was recommended to me from a friend from high school, Colleen. And um, Teddy, the guy who did our logo. So we're going to do that story. Teddy, I
2: love the logo, by the way.
0: But we want to hear what you want to hear. So um, you can like and comment on Facebook or Instagram. We We just started a new Facebook group, aside from our Facebook page. So if you are interested in joining and giving us your information, please search us on Facebook under Haunting History Podcast Group, and we'll let you in. And we you don't have to be shy, it's a private page, so you can say whatever you want and talk to us about any of our episodes or any episodes you want to hear. The story that we wanted to I wanted to start do today wasn't a listener request. It's one that I've been following. It's been discussed more frequently over the last couple of years and most recently in August of twenty eighteen. It's a cold case that may be solved with DNA. And we all know how I geeked out. I, I get geeked out over anything with family trees and ancestry. And I belong to a lot of genealogy sites because I, I run another company that helps people with their family trees. And I belong to a lot of genealogy sites. So this story keeps coming up. And it's why I wanted to do it today. It just recently popped up. And I this time this time it's not about the victim. Although I know all of our other stories, we kind of highlight the victim a lot. And this one isn't necessarily just about the victim. Sometimes by nature, we are are attracted to the macabre side of life and we get so caught up in the story of the murderers and their actions that we oftentimes get lost in that side of the story. Forgetting the victims and completely focusing on the story. Or like I've said, it's sort of a self-preservation thing. We can focus on things that we can handle rather than focus on the victims. But in this case, it was different for me. It's not, we're not, Focusing on the victim, although the story is about the victim and it would make me inhuman to not care about the victim because you, it's a story of a small boy and it definitely brings compassion and heartache. And with this case, for some reason, for me, I was drawn to it because of the men involved in the story and it was the men who, who tried to solve what happened and it touched my heart so much. And I'm not saying that the victim isn't. Part, a big part of the story because he is, but the men surrounding the case are the reason why I wanted to tell the story, and they're the men of the Philadelphia Police Department and the VDOC Society, which I'll explain more as we go along. He would be approximately sixty-eight years old today, although no one really knows exactly how old he would be because no one knows when he was born, or his name, or his parents, or what who his favorite comic book hero was. No one knows anything. We only know him as the boy in the box. Or, as he's more known now, America's Unknown Child. He is the unidentified murder victim, three to seven years old, whose naked, battered body was found in a cardboard box in the Fox Chase section of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, on February 25th, 1957. Do you guys know the story of the boy in the box?
2: No, I've never heard of it. But if he's 68, that means he's my dad's age.
0: He would be approximately 68. They don't really know how old he if is. He was
2: probably seven. He pro well.
0: He was 1957, they found So him? he was born anywhere between 1950 and 1957. Yeah, my dad was born well, in
2: 1950. That's so sad.
0: His body, the body was discovered twice. The first time was by a young man who saw the box with the boy's remains in it while he was checking his muskrat traps in a rural area. He was afraid to report it to the police because trapping muskrats were illegal. Two days later.
2: Two whole days.
0: 2 days later yeah he didn't report it and then 2 days later a college man college boy was in the area but he withheld the information too what? for 24 hours and the reason that he withheld the information what was he doing because there was a uh girls school a girls good shepherd good shepherd school for wayward girls wayward
2: was, means that they're bad they're, right yeah they're bad girls
0: okay um he he would go to um Spy on the girls. He was a peeping Tom. Mm. So he couldn't report the body to the police either because they would ask why he was there. But he had a change of heart a day later and reported it. Um, His name was Frederick Benoist. He originally was one of the... Um, he was, of course, one of the suspects at first. But he says that he thought it was a doll and then looked closer I and realized... I always think it's a doll or a mannequin.
1: Yeah. Well,
0: because I think it's unbelievable.
1: Well, yeah, I could see well. how someone seeing a little no,
0: I would child see in a box in a mannequin would be a doll. and be
2: like oh my god it's a person
0: you wouldn't yeah it was in a J, <laughs> J. C Penney's box it says that Caucasian male um probably aged 4 to 7 uh, whose nude body was wrapped in a cheap flannel blanket was found lying face up in a large cardboard carton they figured out that the box was originally held a baby's white bassinet 11 of which had been sold for 750 a piece at the Upper Darby Pennsylvania J C Penneys Police um, tried to track down one of the first things that they did was try and track down the purchasers. Wait, um,
2: so only eleven people bought this bassinet.
0: Oh, that was that was sold at Chase Penny's. That that well they could track by the serial number. I know, but only where eleven that, only eleven people purchases it. were yeah.
2: made of that bassinet. particular bassinet. But
0: here's the thing: well, eight like they say that it was such a feat. It was so funny. They said it was such a feat for them to find eleven people who had – purchased it because it was days before credit cards and things like that. They acted like it was such a feat to find all eleven people. Well, they didn't. I don't think they ended up finding all eleven people in the days before credit cards. But what had happened is eight people who purchased that bassinet called into the police to and say told they the, bought that, it? yeah that they say they bought it. Um, some still had the box and some said they threw the box away. So, I mean, the people who said they threw it away wasn't particularly helpful. Anybody could have picked up the box at mm. some point. Um, it was just a few feet. The box was located just a few feet from Saskawana Road. The body was dry and clean, and the boy's arms were carefully folded across his stomach. The finger and toenails had been recently trimmed short and neat. The child was 40 and a half inches tall, weighed 30 pounds. He had blue eyes, pale skin, and appeared to be malnourished.
2: That's a tiny boy.
0: I know. That's why I don't think he was 7.
2: I have a 2-year-old that's 38 inches and... Twenty eight pounds. Wait, did you just say seven? Didn't you say he was three?
0: They thought he was they 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 determined his age was between three and seven.
1: Oh, okay, yeah. so he may have been a three year old. Yeah, definitely not over five, right? No.
0: Yeah. No, I I've There's always no thought way. the seven was extreme. I always thought the seven was kind of extreme. Like that's what But they don't know, so that's why they have they said between three and seven. She's and they narrowed it down to between three and six. And six is really he's very malnourished.
1: Almost 40 inches tall already. My daughter is.
0: Yeah, she's just turned too. Only 40 and a half inches tall.
1: Yeah, but someone who's super malnourished, I think, they could be they're shorter. They're growing. Yeah, it depends
0: on how long they they're be malnourished. And this is
1: in the 50s, so they yeah. don't have as much food. Yeah.
2: Ha- yummy. They had f- bad food. His hair. <laughs> Big and strong.
0: Sorry. His hair was described as light brown and blonde in color and had been recently cut very close to the head in a crude, hurried way. Perhaps in a deliberate attempt to conceal the child's identity, small clumps of his hair clung to his body, suggesting that someone had groomed him while he was unclothed, probably shortly before or after death. And this is sad. I, this would making me really sad. Well, and I, again, I, I'm saying that the story is not about the victim, particularly this time. It's more about the men who tried to solve it. And it's not more about the men who tried to solve it, because the victim was always really important. Um, but this is different than how I was talking about the, the black Dahlia case, how it was so important to me to kind of bring her back from being the black Dahlia and back to her real name. We don't even know his name. That's what's really sad, but he he's always been the center of this. He was not sensationalized. Mm-hmm. He, this the story was always about the victim and, and the men who searched for him or for his killer and tried to solve this case, never once forgot that the victim was a young boy. There, this little disclaimer, this is the part where I'm going to describe a bunch of different things. So again, little ears should probably not be listening. So if you have, if you need to take a second to change the channel, this would be the time to do it. There were many bruises all over the child's body, particularly on his headed face, all of the bruises appeared to have been inflicted at the same time. There were seven scars on his body, three of which could be could have resulted from surgical procedures. Two of these surgical, in quotes, scars were on his chest and groin. They had healed quite well, the coroner said, leaving only a hairline trace. There was also a scar on the boy's left ankle, which looked like a cut-down incision.
2: What's a cut-down incision?
0: Uh, it's, it's, it's a surgical incision to expose a vein. Why? So that a needle can be inserted to do an infusion or a transfusion.
1: So oh. he was a sick boy.
0: I think that's what they, That the, yeah. It said there was also a one and a half inch scar on the left side of his chest and around a regular scar on his left elbow. I mean, he's a little boy. So the left scar. The, they probably
2: had a lot of scars back then.
0: But a scar on your left <laughs> they jumped elbow. off of
1: lots of things. Well, it's I mean, like, why? Back then? Well, no, I
0: think people are like so much more worried about their kids now. They're like put them in bubbles, but back then they were like, yeah, go play with your brother. Yeah, whatever. go jump
2: off that roof. Yeah.
0: Then on his chin was an L-shaped scar, again a quarter of an inch long on in each chin? direction. On his chin, he had no vaccination scars, and the boy had been circumcised.
2: You have scars from being vaccinated.
0: Yeah, yeah, you do. Back then, you do. Back
2: then, you did. know. Oh. Yeah. like my mom has a huge scar. Is yeah, it
0: the my mom did? It's what the, is it? I don't remember which one. It's it's it, the polio. It was the one that had all the needles. Yes, yeah. it's yeah. huge.
2: It's right here, and it's all these little holes.
0: By the time I got it, it was. A it's t- like if you were born like nineteen like
2: fifty to nineteen sixty five or something. something yeah. You had that. It's a round scar. You got it in junior high. And I think it was it a polio vaccination. It looks like prongs. I've seen I that. have one, yeah,
0: but mine was much smaller. They used to do much bigger ones, yeah. So what this <laughs> is uh, to me, what this is saying is that he was cared for at some point, though. If he had surgery, and like they said he was
1: sick, and his parents yeah, got him surgeries for like his heart, yeah, or something. The inch on the scar on his chin and
0: his elbow and stuff, not so much, but the the cut down incisions. They said they could tell by and the scar on his chest, yeah, and his groin area was to get to a vein, probably. There are three small moles on the left side of his face, a tiny one below his right ear, three small ones on the right side of his chest, and a large one on the right arm two inches above the wrist. The boy had a full set of baby teeth, and he was also slightly buck too. And the tonsils... He could not have been seven,
2: then. No. You lose teeth way before. The tonsils that.
0: had not been remo- removed. The palm of his right hand and the soles of both his feet were rough-skinned and wrinkled, in what police called a washerwoman effect, indicating that just before or after the death, one or both of his feet had been submerged in water for an extended period of time. When an ultraviolet light was shown in the boy's left eye, it florenced a brilliant blue, suggesting that a special diagnostic dye had been applied, possibly to treat a chronic eye ailment. Examination of the gastrointestinal tract indicated that he had not eaten for two or three hours before his death. X-rays of the boy's body, though, showed no evidence of current or prior bone fractures. The cool weather made it difficult to tell how long the child had been dead. It may have been two or three days, or possibly as long as two or three weeks. During autopsy, blood and other bodily fluids, hair, gastric contents, and tissue samples from vital organs, including the heart, liver, and lungs, were extracted for toxicologist analysis and microscopic examination. A mysterious dark brown residue and we'll then remember this for later. A mysterious dark brown residue coating the interior of the boys esophagus could not be identified, but the presence of a brown substance in the esophagus could be consistent with vomiting shortly before death. That's probably what you guys remember. No other unusual he was poisoned or something? No. No other unusual findings were noted. Okay, so I, I just read that straight from the police reports. Uh, they took fingerprints and footprints and were obtained for subsequent comparison against hospital records and other medical files. They said that numerous strands were found clinging to his body and were sent to the FBI, but they just proved to be the victim's
1: hair. The what? The victim's hair. So, like, he... It was his own hair. Like, how they said that he it, his hair was cut before. Okay. The case, so, they like, still have his DNA. But that would be, like, right before... Right. Obviously.
0: Yeah, they said they think that he, his hair was cut either right before he died or after he died. And they think – the more I read about it, they think um, – and, and I'll have – I'll probably have the pictures on the Facebook page. I mean, I'm sorry, on the um, on our website. But there's three bruises on his head. And and I'm doing it, and you guys can see it, but no one can see it at home. But if you put your, your pointer finger on the middle of your forehead and then your middle finger next to it and then your thumb – your thumb. Okay. That's <laughs> we're all doing this, by I the know. way, if you want to visualize. <laughs> even, <laughs> even Lily. <laughs> we have Lily here all recording and she's even doing it too. Those three. Okay. That's how you would hold a child's head if you were trying to shave the back of his head. Think about that. You would? Yeah. Like if your kid was moving around and you're really, like here. would be like
2: this. No, but you wouldn't.
0: <laughs> but it's not unreasonable. The reason why I'm saying that is. Yeah, I
2: guess. Yeah. You'd be like, come on. Hold. He, yeah. You'd be holding like
1: in more right here too. And then like pro- to the no, side. No, and then
0: you'd have the razor in the other hand.
1: Are we allowed to speculate what we think happened?
0: Well, be, I'm, the reason why I'm making you do this three-point thing is because he had three bruises exactly like that on the front of his head. Mm-hmm. And it's not that unreasonable to think. And that means that he is, his head was shaved after he died. It also oh, means... you would breathe
2: after he died, would you? No, because it was the point... The way they oh, explain the,
0: it, yeah. Whatever. What's the it called?
1: Pools right there. I mean, what's it called? Mm, Livity. Something lividity. But you know what that could also mean? What? It's clearly maybe... Clearly, maybe that's not, I know that was just made a new word. Clearly, maybe, but that like he was sick and had blood what infu- What is that called? Blood transfusions. Yeah. Maybe this is me wanting to guess what happened to him is that he was really sick and like bruised easily it. because he was really sick. Right. And so that's why he had bruises. And also maybe whoever killed him, although not, cur- not right and not. Not a good person to do it, but was, like, going to have issues for the rest of his life.
2: Courtesy kill?
1: Oh. Is that what it's called? I don't know. I just called? came up with that, that makes, makes sense. sense. Courtesy kill? <laughs> well, but, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, as like as a parent, I could see, again, not because it's right, but I could see where someone would come from as being, like, you've already had all these surgeries at three years old. Like, you're going to suffer for the rest of your life. Okay, well, Not get, saying kill your tired okay. if they have sicknesses. Okay, but but... but let along me, the lines.
0: Let me get through the story first and then you can have your opinion. That's I said can we speculate because no. I wanted to... Speak. No, you can speculate all you want, but you're going to change your opinion cl- uh, really Probably. fast. I believe wait, so. But
2: wait. What? Nobody reported this boy missing mm-hmm.
0: at any time. No. And that's what I'm going to tell you about now.
2: So that means whoever killed him was his family.
0: No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. Just hold on. No, it doesn't. The case attracted, attracted massive media attention in Philadelphia and, and nationwide, really. The newspaper, the Philadelphia Inquirer, created 400,000 flyers depicting the boy's likeness and flooded the area. So it was like really everywhere. And then they ended up putting him in every gas bill, especially in February you were using your gas for heat. So they put pictures of the little boy in every gas bill. And the crime scene was combed over by 270 like police... Like pictures
2: of his actual body or... His pictures of his face. Like they like his
0: actual face. That's why I'm going to put it on her face. They took her an her. actual
2: picture of his face, yes. not like a drawing no, a of what of he might have looked like.
0: Well, I'll put it on... I'll show Aww. you. I'll put it on the, on the, on not that the guess, website. the. not that Well, they they needed to find out where the boy came from. They thought that he might have been kidnapped and murdered. They didn't know. So they the crime scene was was combed over by 270 police academy recruits. Um, they discovered a man's corduroy cap, a child's scarf, and a man's white handkerchief with a letter G, but all those clues led to nowhere. Uh, the police even went so far as to distribute. Now this is really gross, and I'm gonna put this on our on our website too. I say it's really gross, and then I'm like, yeah, and I'm gonna put it on our website. They dressed the do little. Do you need to show me? No, I can. They dressed the little boy up in clothes and took pictures of him.
1: It's like what you would do for a funeral. I, I used to do that, didn't they? Used it? to do that back in the day. Well, like, yeah, you would take picture,
2: yeah. postmortem pictures, and mm-hmm. you'd be like smiling next to your dead no, sibling. No, I'm completely yeah. obsessed
0: with that. It's it's called memento. Um, they would
2: like have a, their eyes open and stuff, wouldn't they? Or they would paint, eyes or they on their would their pretend eyelids. they're sleeping. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah it would, it's. I'm obsessed with it's. Um, memento mori is photos of your deceased relatives. Yeah, this is a real oh, picture, yeah, of, so, him. Yeah. Aww, a picture of him. Yeah, that's a picture of him. Yeah. They dressed. They did. They dressed him up, and they and they distributed that photo everywhere.
2: Wait, the police dressed him up.
0: The police dressed him out. The police got this really. This makes me want to cry. Really and this dead. is why this story, Aww. this story touched my heart so much, is because the 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 detectives and stuff they're hardened, hardened men. Many of them had fought during World War Two. They had seen death and disease, and and they were all just completely touched by this little boy. Yeah. So they lovingly dressed him. Like when I just say that they just dressed him and took his photo, they did it lovingly and they did it so that they could find his mom. That's what they were doing. They weren't, they wanted to give him his name. The lead soon fizzled and police were baffled. It was impossible. It seemed impossible that no one would recognize the boy and come forward. No relative, no neighbor, no teacher, no playmate or doctor. Investigators redoubled their efforts. They ran an article in a pediatric journal Describing the boy's scars, but got no response. Despite the publicity and sporadic interest in throughout the years, the boy's identity is still unknown. On July 24th, 1957, with detectives as his pallbearers, the boy was buried in a Philadelphia potter's field. A donated headstone said, Heavenly Father, bless this unknown boy. So the detectives paid for what they didn't get. I mean, the potter's field, you know what a potter's field is, right? No. You know what a potter's field is? No. Potter's field is where people who can't pay for burial are buried. Oh. So a lot of times there's no markers. It's just uh, indigenous people are are buried, people who don't have any money. And normally like um, John Doe's, Jane Doe's are buried in potter's fields. They're donated land. And whoever can pay. In this instance, the detectives all chipped in to pay for his headstone. No. The case, although cold today, still has some activity. Unlike the Black Dahlia, whose files sit in storage and are seldom looked at or accessed, the boy in the box has, for the last 70 years, never been forgotten, not because of the sensualization like I talked about in the Black Dahlia case or news coverage, but because the men originally involved in the case, one of them, a man named Bill Kelly, a fingerprint, a fingerprint expert who took the fingerprints of the unknown boy, spent his entire life going over the case over and over again. He, and he said the day that he was called into the fingerprints, he entered the morgue to find the entire police department there all of them talking in low voices. He said he was so completely touched by the fact that these hardened men, like I talked about earlier, uh, were so...
1: Touched by it and wanting to Yeah, they were
0: devastated. They said that he was thrown away like so much trash, like just tossed in a box and the box tossed in a field. And these grown men were... never forgot Mm -hmm. and never let it go. So like... And this is the difference between this and like the Elizabeth Short case. The Elizabeth Short case... That file is just sitting there. It's just a file cabinet Mm -hmm. that no one touches, no one looks at anymore. If they got a lead, there's an officer assigned. I mean, because there is always an officer assigned, like I mentioned in the first episode. There's always an officer assigned to the Black Dahlia case. He doesn't actively look. This case, yeah, he's not trying. If someone called in and said, I absolutely know and I have evidence, then he's the one that they would call, but he's not actively doing it. This case is completely different. There, these men never have let it go, ever let it go mm-hmm. they've retired and come right back and, and uh, actively and
2: people have probably picked it up
1: so why right. couldn't they test his DNA and find living family members? Well we're going to get to that the, that they're going to well that's, well, that's like I said,
0: I, that's one of the reasons why it po- keeps popping up on my genealogy pages this man Bill Kelly he was called into the fingerprints like I said and he uh, began his own volunteer mission. Nearly every day before or after work, he would spend two to three hours in hospital records departments in warehouses, sifting through organized unorganized maternity files, all babies' footprints that are recorded at birth. Because all babies, when they're born, their footprints yeah. are recorded. And he said that this is the sad thing. He said, I never that
2: thought about that. Is he, your footprint like a Yes. Yeah. yeah it's exactly the same. Aww.
0: So that's what he did. This just this gentleman alone. I mean, this is there. There's three or four of them that are,
1: Haley just totally looked at her foot. I was curious. <laughs> it looked the same as my fingerprint.
0: There's there's um, there's three or four of the the original investigators that never let the case go, and Bill Kelly was one of them. He said that when he went in to do the fingerprints. He had to do this thing, and it's so funny because I, I I, I understood what he was saying. A lot of times when I'm doing research for this, for this sh- podcast, I have to disassociate myself from the actual story and just research it. I don't know how to explain it. Mm-hmm. Detach a little bit. He, When he had to do the fingerprints for the little boy, and he had to do this on numerous occasions, mm-hmm. but he did it specifically. He said that when he did the fingerprints for this little boy, he had to do just... He had to focus, he was doing the foot fingerprints, so he had to just look at the foot. He had to just concentrate on the fact that he was just doing a foot. Mm-hmm. He couldn't attach it, he can not attach his vision to the whole body.
2: Like it wasn't a person, it was just he's looking at a footprint, footprint, footprint.
0: Yes, exactly. That's exactly how, yes, exactly, that's how it is. He has to disassociate himself. And he spent years and years and years sifting, like so long, that um the hospital would call him if they had an issue with a n- newborn, that there was some kind of mix-up in the delivery room. Oh they, they Shipper? Yeah, they would call him oh. because he they knew him. He spent so many hours at the hospital. And that's how dedicated he was. He wasn't getting paid for any of this at all. The police department what wasn't gonna man. pay him. He spent his own time. He says that he felt the boys' murder murder was a crime almost beyond imagination but his being robbed of his identity was a crime against the very order of things. He believed that everyone deserved a name and he told a story and I'm going to read this to you directly. Um, on one visit to the wayward girls home that was, I told you was located nearby and he'd been there several times that he asked a nun to pray for him that they find who the boy was. And then when he went back again, like later years later, he saw the same nun again and he asked her if he said he's been trying and he still didn't have an answer And asked her if she'd been praying for him. And she said she had, but maybe God said no
3: attention all insurance agents with a current life or medical insurance license select quote has immediate openings for licensed insurance agents looking to build a rewarding career and you can even work from the comfort of your home our average employee makes seventy five thousand dollars and our top performers make well over hundred fifty thousand dollars per year yes I said hundred and fifty thousand dollars insurance professionals are you sick of looking and paying for leads would you like to have more than one product or carrier solution to offer do you wish that your entrepreneurial spirit and hard work was rewarded if you you answered yes, and you feel you have what it takes. Select Quote is looking for you. With a fun and fast work environment, multiple products, pre-qualified leads, and great training. This is an opportunity you do not want to miss. Apply online at selectquote.com backslash careers or call 800-896-9009 to learn more. Select Quote is hiring right now. Don't miss out. Call 800 896 9009 or visit selectquote.com backslash careers. Call 800 896 896 9009
0: Hmm. And that's it, like, kind of what happened. He wasn't the only person that was preoccupied with the boy, a medical examiner by the name of Remington bristow That's a name. Remington. I love that.
1: I was going to say, you love the name Remington. I another
2: baby. I'm going to name it Remington. Girl <coughs> or boy?
0: He went by... um a girl Remington. Remy. A cute Remmy, yeah. Remington is really cute. Um, a quiet man with a craggy face. He had also been trying to solve the case on his own time. They were drawn together by their shade and so Kelly and Bristow would often meet in other offices, or outside of city hall offices. The two men agreed on one thing from the start, that the boy's abusive parents or caretakers must have killed him. Concerning the boy's grooming, perhaps it happened during bath time that he had resisted and been smacked around harder than usual. The bruises across his forehead could have been dug in by rough fingers trying to keep his hair still during the haircut. You know, yeah. how I had you acted out. Or maybe his hair was cut post-mortem to disguise his identity. They couldn't think of a way to lure the parents out of the woodwork. A year year or two into the case, Bristow cleverly planted an idea in the newspapers that perhaps the boy's death had been accidental and his loving family had been too poor to afford a funeral. Bristow didn't believe it, but he hoped that it would bring the killer forward and it didn't work. It said that Bristow's determination grew with each passing year. At year five, five years after they had found the body, he consulted a psychic. Man. We, love we love his name and the fact that he called a psychic which I which I'll tell you about in a little bit it's in because it's a deeper story in year six he offered a thousand dollars of his own money for any information leading to the boy's identity and they found out later that Bill Kelly told the story about Remington that Rem had a daughter who died in infancy from crib death and they think that played a part in his obsession with the case that makes
1: mm-hmm. sense
0: So the theories, and and I mention the theory only because I don't want to leave it out because people message me and say, you forgot about this one. And it was one line of the investigation, but it was pretty quickly cleared up, was that the boy was a boy named Stephen Damon, who was 34 months old, which fits into the age, and was kidnapped outside of a Long Island supermarket in 1955.
2: Long Island, New York?
0: Long Island, New York. Okay. It was quickly ruled out because of a birthmark or something, like he was missing a mole or birthmark that Steve Danman had. And in 2003, it was finally completely ruled out. The second theory um, pertains to Remington Bristow's hiring of a psychic. It says that there was a foster home that was located approximately one and a half miles from the site of the body. And in 1916, and Remington Bristow, I should tell you, was an investigator He was... An employee of the medical examiner's office. And he doggedly pursued this case until he died. Till the day he died, he was working on this case. And he's the one who contacted, contacted the New Jersey psychic who told him to look for a house that matched the foster home, which they found. When the psychic was brought to the Philadelphia Discovery site, she led Bristow directly to the foster home. It was owned by Arthur and Catherine Nicoletti. And upon attending an estate sale at the foster home before Bristow told, like he couldn't, 19, this is five years later, for 52, he couldn't go to his his superiors and be like, hey, I hired a psychic. She told me to look at this house. So I found the house. Yeah. So he went to an estate sale at the house, and he saw a bassinet similar to the one sold in at J.C. JCPenney's that the boy was found in the box in. And he also discovered blankets hanging on a clothesline that were similar to the one that the boy's body was wrapped in. He believed that the boy, and this is him surmising stuff. He's just kind of figure, trying to figure it out. He believed that the, um, that the boy could have belonged to the step, sis, stepdaughter of Arthur Nicoletti, the owner of the foster home. And that they disposed of the body so that just, the stepdaughter wouldn't be exposed or as an could unwed mother. it just
2: been a foster child. It, there's he, foster parents that don't take care of their found,
0: kids. Um, all the foster kids were accounted for. That was part of the investigation is that all the foster kids were accounted for. So that's why he started thinking, well, maybe the girl had a baby that no one knew. You know what I mean? And no one knew
2: they had a baby back then.
0: Well, they, they hit for some reason he thought it was the girl that had the baby and that no one knows she had it and that they, that's the boy. That was the boy. Like yeah. then they disposed of him,
2: but you could hide a baby back then. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No.
0: And what do you think the home for, for wayward girls was for? I'm sure the, they were pregnant girls there too. Yeah. It got sent away. Despite the evidence, the police were not able to definitively connect links to the boy in the box and the foster family. Cause again, they, the foster kids were covered and the, the step girl was really just a guess by, um, Remington. And then in 1998, Philadelphia police lieutenant Tom Augustine who was charged in the investigation, and several members of the VDoc Society, which I will explain. I mentioned um, that earlier. The VDoc Society is sort of a, I want to say secret society, and I don't think it's, it's definitely exclusive. Um, society of ret- retired FBI homicide detectives, forensic specialists, people at the top of the field. And they belong to the society where they work closely with missing, um, unsolved murders. Yeah. And they helped solve them.
2: They were armchair detectives.
0: They were not armchair detectives. They were, Kinda they were. know. They were out of the they
2: field. Were they're the top of Experience. their field. Experience. Armchair detectives.
0: That's a, that's a polar opposite of an armchair des- no, detective. No,
2: armchair detectives have solved some cases. Yes,
0: but they're still not experienced. These no. are men at but the top yeah. of their field. They
2: were the first. They, they were, were. They're the elite. Of they're like the armed, elite. They're yeah, the, they're
0: the elite. They're the shit. So, um, the, Tom Augustine, who was at the police, who's a police lieutenant in 1998 teamed up with a couple of the retired detectives from the Vodic Soci- Vidoc Society. Vidoc? It's spelled, if you want to Google it, which, it, it's fascinating, it's V-I-D-O-C-Q. Right there. I would say Vidoc. Vidoc Society. Mm-hmm. He teamed up with um, a couple of the retired detectives from the Vidoc Society. Uh, Sam Weinstein, who was one of the first officers on the team but was currently retired. He was another one of the men who never forgot the case. And Joe McGillan, who was re- uh. Uh, investigator with the medical examiner's office, and they interviewed the foster father and the stepdaughter, whom the foster father, the father, ended up marrying his stepdaughter. What? Oh God, yeah, so that's gross and weird. And they they closed the foster home investigation. They determined it, it wasn't it wasn't a good lead. Uh, the detective and the detective and the men from the Vidox Society followed tons of leads. And Bill Kelly, that I spoke about earlier, the one who did the fingerprints, he got involved with Tom. I- Um, Augustine and the two retired men from the Vidoc. And he was part of the Vidoc Society also, Bill Kelly. He was um, watching TV and saw an airing of a special on the boy in the box. And they were talking about a lead that they were following. It was the two detectives from the Vidoc Society and the new detective. were talking about a lead that they were following, thinking that the boy was um, part of this Hungarian family and um, maybe part of this carnival family. And what they didn't know is that Bill Kelly had already followed that lead all the way to the end and all the children were accounted for and wasn't part of the family through fingerprints and stuff. They didn't know that because Bill Kelly was doing this way after he had retired and on his own time. And he, he ended up calling them and saying, Hey, I saw you on TV last night. I already followed that lead. This is what happened. So he kind of got plunged right back into the case again. So now it's the current detective and now three of them from the Vidocq Society that are working on the case. Uh, in 1998, also, the Vidocq Society arranged for the little boy skeleton to be dug up for DNA testing. They were so disappointed what in... What year? 1998. Okay. So it was buried in 1957 by detectives. They were the pallbearers, which these men are the same pallbearers, by the way, mm-hmm. that are now working on the case now. Okay. Uh, they. How many years later? Someone, again, I don't we can't do I'm not bringing out
2: my, oh my phone God. because I'm being challenged not to be on my phone.
0: <laughs> you cannot be on your phone. 1998 minus 1957? 19... <laughs> 57, sorry. No, 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 no. You no. said
1: 2018. 1998. Mm-hmm. 1998 minus 1957. So even with the calculator, we can't do we math. So can't yeah.
0: Do. Um, 41 I years later.
2: I'm the one that's bad with numbers. Are in- do you doing your day job?
0: I know, accounting. It's scary. In 19, I know. Our bosses don't listen to this, right? In 1998, the Vidoc Society arranged for the little boy skeletons to be dug up for DNA. So, 41 years later, disappointed at the conditions of the gravesite and the trash and stuff that they found all over the gravesite in the Potter's Field, because the Potter's Field wasn't really maintained as much as.
2: Yeah, because they're not they're being not kept being,
0: up. Right. Um, they decided to have him reinterred at the Ivy Hill Cemetery. And they donated a, the the cemetery donated a plot by the entrance. And then the coffin and the headstone were all donated by the Vidocq Society and the detectives paid for it again. Replacing his original headstone that had, it read earlier, Heavenly Father Bless His Unknown Child with a new headstone that read America's Unknown Child with a dedication date of November 11th, 1998. And then I'm going to tell you more about the DNA that they pulled um, a little bit later, but in 1999, the story was aired on America's Most Wanted, which spawned a ton of new leads and new dead ends for the elderly investigation team to follow. And then in 2002, I love that they said that. As I, age, I read they're that. Like, I read that exactly. but it's they? Um, they've they've all retired, and they're it's now.
2: Well, it's been forty.
0: 40 they were adults. They Forty-two were, years
2: later, so, like so they have old. to be at least
0: 70, 80 yeah. years old. At they're about this seventy. Time, so they are. They're An elderly investigation team. Yeah. Except for Tom Augustine, he's he's only thirty he's the he's new. well he's the the one assigned to yeah. current currently to the case currently still I think but I believe even maybe not now we're in two thousand and nineteen now on the morning of february twenty fifth two thousand and two, and there's some conflicting dates with this, whether it was in two thousand or two thousand and two, so i I don't know exactly what it is, but they around that time, the homicide division received a call from an Ohio psychiatrist about one of her outpatients. And because of uh, confidentiality, confidentiality laws, because of confidentiality laws, the the patient was referred to as Mary or Martha or just M. And I, it, it's so weird that everything they read, one says Mary, one says Martha. So I'm just going to call her M throughout this. Apparently, M had awakened in a panic and picked up the phone. She wanted to report a a murder, and she needed to get it off her chest after all these years. So, What year was this? 2002. 45 years later, she decided that she needs to get it off her chest. Okay. Emmett claimed that her abusive mother had purchased an unknown boy whose name was Jonathan, which, by the way, as the police were listening to the story, the one thing they wanted more than anything was for her to tell them his name.
2: A name. They They wanted to give him his name.
0: Yeah. So whose name she said was Jonathan from his birth parents in the summer of 1954. The boy was subjected to extreme physical and sexual abuse for two and a half years. One evening at dinner, the boy had vomited up his meal of baked beans and was given a severe beating. The brown stuff. The brown stuff. (laughs) So you'll start, you'll start Listen. You'll start noticing certain things that she says with his head slammed against the floor until he was semi-conscious he was then given a bath. Now, remember, he died. His, I don't I don't think I told you. His cause of death was um, from a head, the head, from the beating of the head. No, but
2: you did say that his hand and foot was submerged in water. Right,
0: and she says, but wait. Um, so he was slammed. His head was slammed against the floor until he was semi-conscious, which is what killed the boy in the box. Mm-hmm. He was then given a bath during which he died. The details matched information known. Some of the details only matched information that the police knew as a coroner had found the boy's stomach contained the remains of baked beans and that his fingers were water wrinkled. Those were not released to the public. M's mother then cut the boy's distinctive long hair accounting for the unprofessional haircut, which the police noted in their initial investigation. Again, I don't know that that was released to the public. Mm -hmm. The pictures were, which would have seen that he did have a haircut. But the part of the police file would have is shown had,
1: short hair, not necessarily had a, he haircut. Had a
0: haircut. And the police said that he had a very it would have shown haircut.
1: a bad haircut. Those right. pictures were a bad haircut.
0: M's, yeah. M's mother then cut the boy's distinctive long hair, and then um, out- took M with her to assist her in dumping the boy's body in the Fox Chase area. M went on to say that as they were preparing to remove the body from the trunk, a passing male motorist pulled alongside to inquire if they needed help. M was ordered to stand in front of the car's license plate to shield it from view. So the mother, well, the mother convinced the would-be Good Samaritan that there was not a problem and the man eventually drove drove off. Now, this collaborated a story that was given by a man who had called in a tip back in 1957 that he had come across a woman and a child, which they didn't take that seriously, a woman and a child, standing next to a car on Chase Road and he had asked, he, he specifically said, he saw a woman, and a small. He said a boy, and M's saying M is a girl. He saw a woman and a boy standing at the trunk of a car, and that he stopped to ask if they needed help. But the back mom,
2: then, it could have been little girls sometimes yes. look like little boys. Right. My mom so, has pictures where I'm like, "What? <laughs> <laughs> is that me? Why did she do my hair? No, no, of my mom, of your mom. None of like you. like she could have been her haircut and stuff looks like she could have been a little
0: boy. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm trying to think if I had... it. It wasn't
2: like it was short, but it wasn't like clean cut. it was short and kind of curly, but short hair. My mom
0: cut my hair one time really short, too.
2: We don't even want to go into what my mom did for me. Um, I've showed you pictures
0: so that's again that's the that's that's another thing that that collaborated like when they found the files and they found that this man had reported the same thing um this originally taken as a well meaning but ultimately meaningless tip now made sense to the police. M states that her mother stashed the boy wrapped in just a blanket in a box that she found at the site. So the box wasn't hers. She found it. The box was laying there. Mm-hmm. So all those eight people that had called in and said that they had discarded the boxes, any one of them theirs. could have been theirs. Yeah. Neighbors who had access to M's house during the stated time period denied that there was a young boy living there. They dismissed M's claims as being ridiculous. Augustine, the the police detective, and Bill Kelly and Joe McGillan made a trip to meet Em in person. It took her three hours to tell the whole story. And they they believe her. Who, they, wait,
2: go back to, well, to whoever what? said that. Okay, she said he had been subject to abuse and sexual, sexual abuse. Sexual abuse, yeah. But we're only talking about the mom right now. Who was sexually abusing him? No, the,
0: she, she said her parents bought him. So the dad was dad. involved in it too? Yeah. yeah, she goes into great detail how her parents sexually abused him. And that he was um unhealthy, mm-hmm. she says she believed that he had cerebral palsy. Mm. that was just her opinion. She was a woman, and she was a young girl when this was going on, so it was by memory, but she always felt something was wrong with him, and that he never spoke okay. and she's just referring to the i mean what she remembers she says she remembers she the police the 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 detectives and the investigators and the from the from the society. Tracked down one of her college roommates, and said that in the college roommate told them that M had told her that her mother had killed someone. The police don't believe that the theory holds up. The current police department Why? don't believe that. The, they said M um, she's she's I don't know she's batshit crazy. I hate to say that because she might still be alive. I I can't.
2: But she's giving details of something that people yeah. don't know. She's. And They're say saying that there's only one.
0: two details. The gentleman that stopped behind the car and the.
2: But that's more details than anyone has ever given.
0: Yes, but the part about the bath time, the water, the water, the washerwoman effect, mm-hmm. they don't know if that ever got leaked out. The only thing that they know for a fact that was not leaked out was the baked beans.
2: The brown stuff. The brown
0: stuff. And the, um, the gentleman who, who, called in the tip that he had seen the woman and the child. That's the enough car. for me. It, it,
1: and that she said it more than she said to the police, like, but said it to her college roommate or whatever you said. Her yeah. But like she's beans.
0: very, they can never have put her on the stand. Apparently she had been under psychiatric care her entire life.
1: doesn't make her unreliable. That's a they one hundred percent to them that does psychiatric care because she watched her mother murder a baby. Thinking. Yeah, okay, and so she helped that's dispose what, of him. Well, what
0: Haley just said is exactly what the two elderly detectives said. Yeah, an investigator said. I mess with anybody? Is said that um the police say that the reason why they couldn't use her for testimony or anything is because she's she's um visually batshit crazy. Like yeah. she's been under such, and she'll be torn apart by anyone who who questions it because of her mental stability or instability. Um but what they happened say, to her is
2: what made her mentally. Exactly. Unstable. They say exactly
0: what Haley said. The detectives yeah. say the reason why she is this way is because she saw and I guess again the They they don't have anything in the autopsy reports about him um being sexually abused. She says that's what happened. That yeah, it's not in there. Um they they say that I think that would have been the definitive line. And I'm just saying that now because I'm thinking about it as we're talking, is that had she said that he was sexually abused and the brown substance and the man by the car, they would have said, "Okay, she's checking all the boxes. Mm -hmm.
1: But they still wouldn't have been able to have her testify. No, because she's crazy. But that I think that would have
0: confirmed more for everybody had she they had evidence of sexual abuse. They never realized that. She was an unreliable source. That's one, it's exactly what they say is she was an unreliable source. So the problem now is that her, first of all, I did the math. She would be 88. So you did the
1: math prior. So we wouldn't have to say. Yes, I did. I did it. It. I
0: did it prior. Before, yeah. She would be high five. high five. She would be 88. So I don't even know if she's still alive. And the reason that I don't know that she's alive is because she was so protected by her doctor and confidentiality laws that the, her name has never been released. HIPAA. So, well, the hippo wasn't around back no. when this all started, but oh. they, there's no way for me to know if, um, if she's even still alive. And the thing about it is, is that there's, because she says that her parents purchased him, mm-hmm. that there would be, um, no DNA anyways. No, you want to, be able to track so, it to her family. No. Another lead that the police took seriously was that a man who reported in Philadelphia that. Um, his older brother had gone missing around the same term period as the boy in the box. He said his siblings disappearance was a long time family secret. And that a uh, another gentleman named Frank Bender, he was a forensic sculptor had made a bust of what the boy would look like. And this man claimed that the boy looked like his father and him and that his own father was dead, but no connection, no connection was ever made from that. Currently the case is in the news again in 2016, two writers from Los Angeles, Jim, Jim Hoffman, and another one from New Jersey, Louis, or Luis Romano, explained that they believed they had discovered a potential identity from Memphis, Tennessee. They requested that DNA be compared between the family members and the child, and the lead was originally discovered by a Philadelphia man who introduced Romano and Hoffman to each other. They have developed and presented with the help of Hoffman to the Philadelphia Police Department and the Vidox Society in early 2013. In December 2013, Romano became aware of the lead and agreed to meet the man from Philadelphia in Hoffman to personally obtain DNA from his particular family members in January of 2014. So we're like four years into this, Mm -hmm. which was sent quickly to the Philadelphia Police Department. Local authorities confirmed that they would investigate the lead but stated that they would need more research on the circumstances surrounding the link to the Memphis family, even before they compare the DNA. Apparently, this lead also leads to M. Somehow it they're connecting it, yeah. yeah, but they haven't said how, and I can't find I can't find the information, and then I searched and searched and searched. So, I believe that the newest line of investigation um, does connect to M, and it will be able to be done through DNA. So we'll never know if M's story is completely accurate, but if we can connect it to the family and there's a story there, so we'll be able to at least know who he was. And I believe her, and I do too. And the, the, here's the thing, though the baked the, beans, it's it's weird. <laughs> it all comes down to the baked beans. The um, Honestly. I want to make a note about the DNA. The DNA is only mitochondrial DNA, which is what m- the mom's side. Oh, okay. Only the mom's side. The it's considered yes less useful in, as a forensic tool.
2: Yeah, because there's only like partial. They can
0: only go, and it, the reason why they only have that, like they won't be able to trace the paternal line through that DNA. But they'll be able to confirm or rule out a genetic relationship through the maternal, maternal lineage. Mm-hmm. Um, when they pulled up his, um, exhumed his body, it was in such bad, um, a bad state. That was the only thing. Yeah. Left. And mitochondrial DNA lasts longer than nuclear DNA. Just girls rule. Wait, that <laughs> our DNA lasts longer. Yeah. Our yeah. DNA can go back further. So, um, <laughs> they got it from his, one of his teeth. And um, unfortunately, time is not on our side. Uh, the investigators who dedicate their lives to finding the answer to the boy in the box will not be alive to find out if scientific advances solve this cold case. Are those guys still alive right now? Bill Kelly, the man who never gave up, passed away on March 15th, 2014. Joe McGellan died October of 2015. And so what, Wasn't there one other guy? Sam Weinstein was another one, and I can't... He searched and searched and searched to find out if he was still alive. He was older than um
2: he could still be alive though.
0: He was older than Bill Kelly. He could still be alive. And he was one of the first ones on the scene. No, I know, I agree. It's not likely they'd be in their ni- late 80s early 90s all of them. So, um Remington passed away in 93. That's who I'm thinking about, Remy. He died. Remy. Uh, he died in 1993. So, if this case can be solved, it's going to be solved through DNA. And it may not solve who killed him. It'll solve who. It'll he give is. him his name back. It'll, yeah. yeah. It'll,
2: which could then lead to if M is the correct story. It could.
0: It could. I mean, I mean, we can only hope. It this, the story isn't just about him anymore. It's not just about the victim. Although, again, and I said in the beginning that you being a human to not have feelings and sympathy and just heartache over that little boy, but you also want it for those detectives you want it for those men that didn't just go to work and clock in eight to five every day they They truly cared they they fought to find the answers and give that little boy his name back so if this case is solved and they and they determine who he was and through that can determine what happened to him it's not going to just be for him anymore it's going to be for the men who spent their lives trying to find answers for him On March 21st, 2016, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children released a facial reconstruction of the victim and added him to their database. And despite the decades, the case remains open with the hope that one day someone will figure out the identity of the young victim and what happened to him. Will it be DNA that finally puts an end to all the questions and gives a name to the boy who found a place in the heart of the men who worked on the case? For now, the mystery endures but the hope that 2019 will be the year that we finally get answers. Thank you for listening to this episode of Haunting History Podcast. We love hearing from you, so please be sure to like, follow, and comment on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Haunting History Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to all your favorites. Also, you can join our Patreon site for exclusive content, upcoming contests, and information only available to our Patreon members. Visit our website at huntinghistorypodcast.com for more information on each episode and links to our Patreon page and all the social media platforms. Until next time, I'm Kat, and remember, the living are far scarier than any ghost.
4: Hello, friends. My name is Mike, and I'm the host of the Monsters and Friends podcast. Most days, I wander out here to the cabin with my old friend Barry, and we sit by the fire, sip on warm cider, and talk about life. Sometimes, we chat about butterflies. Others, his unrelenting love for dandelions. But more often than not, we talk about something that we both find absolutely fascinating. Monsters. And their friends, of course. Join us every other Tuesday as we introduce you to some of the monsters of the world that don't get the same spotlight as Barry's cousin Bigfoot. Am I right, buddy? <laughs> yeah. We'll talk about where they've originated from, where they've been, where they're going. <laughs> Actually, we probably won't be able to tell you where they're going. I don't know if you've ever texted with a Mongolian deathworm, but you can never read their responses, and the emojis just make no sense. Well, with that being said, join us every other Tuesday on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening. We'll chat again real soon.
3: Hi, can I help you? We're looking for a van. Any special features? Child locks. Don't want to lose
1: anyone. No windows. Privacy no carpet or seats easy to hose out roomy there's gonna be a lot of moving around in there
3: um what is this van going to be used for
1: like everyone else we're doing a podcast i'm jennifer sandwich i'm lisa sweatshirt and
2: i am acadia einstein
1: we're the host of yikes
0: murder and stuff a not safe for work podcast where every week we'll bring you stories of true murder international crimes and abnormal psychology
1: If that sounds like something you're into, then put your headphones on and hop in our nondescript windowless van and come see the puppies. Yikes, murderandstuff.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.